worry. I, uh, I come from a mom and dad who did a lot of worrying, and I gave them a lot to worry about <laughs> as I was growing up. And um, I found, since my health issues kicked in five years ago, that uh, I've become quite the worrier. So in the midst of this passage, I've been, I, Thursday, I was overwhelmed with the love of God as I was preparing. Thinking, oh, why do you worry, Bill? You have the creator who loves you dearly. Where are you going to put your trust? To this morning, when I woke up at 5.30 this morning, worrying about my sermon on worry. <laughs> and so I, I sat down at my desk and said, Lord, what's going on? And he says, you know, worry is a mirror. It can reflect the things that are important to you or treasures in your life. And so let me start off with this confession. That my worrying this morning, I was worried about my sermon on worry, was that I realized maybe my reputation or what people, my identity or what people thought of me was going to be all wrapped up in my sermon. I said. But it's a reality that I had to face this morning. I had to repent of putting so much of my identity and my reputation into what you all were thinking about what I was putting together and going to be disseminating to you. So as we go through this passage, understand that I'm in no way, no fashion, no form an authority on this issue. But God is teaching me. And so as we go through it, you're learning as I'm learning. So would you stand for the word of God? I'm reading from the NIV. And then Jesus said to his disciples, now this is a commandment that he's giving them. It's not a suggestion. We hear commandments as do not steal, do not covet. Listen to this commandment. Therefore I tell you, do not worry. That's a commandment. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear. For life is more than food, right? <laughs> and the body more than clothes, right? Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet, I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And listen to this beautiful verse, this promise. Do not be afraid, little flock. 
For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Wow. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of our Lord. John Manzano, will you pray for me, please? Amen. I saw this comedian, and he shared this story, and I thought it was funny. He said, two business executives were meeting for lunch. How's your, how's your health, Ed said. Gene says, I feel great. My, my ulcers are gone, and I don't have to care in the world. And Gene says, how did that happen? Ed says, well, you know, my doctor told me my ulcers were caused from worrying. So I hired myself a professional worrier. Whenever something worrisome comes up, I turn it over to him. And he does all my worrying for me. The other guy says, well, I'd like to hire someone like that. How much does he charge? $100,000. How in the world can you afford $100,000? He says, I don't know. I'd let him worry about that. Wouldn't it be great if you knew someone who could handle all of your worries, all of your anxieties, all of your insecurities, all of your stresses? So let me ask you, what are you worried about this morning? The economy? The political scene? Your job? A personal problem? Your marriage? A relational problem with a friend, a problem at school, those exams that are pending. Have you ever worried about your finances? Have you ever worried about your health? Have you ever worried about school or work or your performance? Notice what Jesus says. Do not worry. Not a suggestion. He doesn't say, in my humble opinion, he doesn't say, it might be a good idea. No, in the original Greek, it's a very strong commandment. He says, do not worry. The Greek New Testament word for worry means divide it or distract it. The actual Anglo-Saxon word for 
this worry is to choke or to strangle. Back in chapter 10, when Martha and Mary were entertaining Jesus, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things, but there's only one thing that is needed. Mary has chosen to spend time with me. She has chosen what is better, and it will be not be taken from her. Martha is yelling at Mary for spending time with Jesus instead of helping with the housework. But she's so stressed out that she needs to spend time with Jesus just as much as Mary does. She needs to give her worries over to the Lord. And in that sense, that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. Listen, do not worry. Jesus knows what's ahead for them. They don't. He knows that there are going to be some things that unfold in the days ahead where they're going to have to look at each other and say, we can either fry, we can clam up, we can run, we can be so worried that we develop ulcers or whatever. What are we going to do? And I feel like there's a huge challenge here for us as well, not just for the disciples, because worry is something every one of us in this room knows about and knows all too well, I believe. Five years ago, when I first had my back surgery and my first heart attack, and I said, okay, well, I've kind of got this behind me. I can move on. And then I had another heart attack, and then I was told I had cancer. And then, then, then I had another heart attack. And then they said, well, let me do a 12-inch split in your breastbone to see if we can fix it. Let me tell you how scary that was for me because one of my great insecurities and fears was the hospital, doctors, getting cancer and having a heart attack. And I'd love to be able to stand up here and say, I've got it figured out. But I still worry. Every little twinge I feel in my torso, I kind of go, where's Wes Howard? Are there doctors in the room today? I can tell you which doctors are here today and which nurses are here today, and who's not here because I walked in and I looked for them. That's how worry seems to hover over me. And I felt like this week Jesus has been saying to me, can we talk about this? This is an issue for you. It, not only is it an issue that could make you sick and drive you crazy and give you more heart problems, it's one that I want to rid you of. So as I look through Luke 12, there's some things that I just want to share, and they're quickly. The first one is how unreasonable worry is. Look at verses 20, 22b through 23. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Guess who gave me life and the body? It was God. He created me. He's trying to say, it's, it's not about these other things. They're tangential. I gave you life and a body. Bill, who is in charge? My wife has told me I'm controlling at times. I've denied that. 
but I'm controlling. Jesus is saying, listen, it's unreasonable. Let's talk reason here. I am God and you're not. That body I created for you. That life you have was mine to give you. And I just think of how ridiculous it would be for me to say to him, how long have you been doing this? <laughs> for centuries or from the beginning of time? Are you sure you know what you're doing? You kind of laugh and say, that's unreasonable. That's ridiculous. Is it? It's God Almighty. I think he's got things under control. And here he tells us, he says, listen, humans are the crown of my creation. And those who are lower than humans, look how I have dressed them and take care of them. You don't think that I can take care of the crown of my creation? The people who are made in my image? I've been taking care of people for centuries. Thank you, Bill. He's near. So it's unreasonable. He's God Almighty, and I'm not. Second, it's unproductive. Verses 25 and 26. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? You can't add anything to this. When I was getting ready to go in for open heart surgery, and they were prepping me, I realized that all of my worry in the world was not going to get me to the other side of the operating room. I couldn't worry enough to get through to the other side of the operating room. How incredibly futile my worrying was as I was laying there and people were going all around me and shaving my chest and telling me everything's going to be okay and dressing me and then telling me that they're going to drop my temperature and they're going to, what they're going to do. And I kind of went, time out. Are you good at this? Have you done this before? Yes. <laughs> then don't tell me what you're going to do to me. Seriously, I just kind of, I don't want to know. It's unreasonable. It's unproductive. And it's unbelief. Verses 29 and 30. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows you need them. Somebody said, worry is atheism in action. Worry is believing God won't get it right. Or as Francis Chan said, worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough, powerful enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. We become functional atheists in the midst of worry. When I worry, 
I want to say, I'm in charge. And I put a grip on it. And it's very hard for God to speak to me and see, for me to see through my grip. It causes me to squint and strain with everything to say, I got to hold on to this. So let me ask you again. What's got you worried this morning? Your job, personal problem, your marriage, a problem with friends, a problem at school. You know what God revealed to me on Thursday? He says, you know what? You're saved by grace. Hallelujah. But he added this to it. He said, but you live by grace minute to minute. We're saved by grace. Hallelujah. But my next breath is an act of grace on his part. So why do you worry if you've got this incredibly gracious God who's walking with you minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, for your entirety of your life, eternal life, What are you thinking, Bill? Do you really believe in grace? Is it true? Or is it some kind of cosmic joke? But my favorite verse in all this passage is verse 32. You see, I've got this worry and this trust thing going on, and they're like two trains that are going at each other, and they're... They, I, I'm kind of going, I don't want to live like this anymore. Yeah, I trust you, God, but I'm really worried. I worry, but I trust you, God. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I'm deeply persuaded that real, lasting peace of heart is never found in ease of circumstances. It's only found in Jesus and his kingdom. Look what he gives us. And look what he, he is pleased to do this. It's his pleasure to give us his kingdom. Listen to what he's saying. It's my joy. It's my desire. It's my want. It's my wish. It's my hope. It's my pleasure. It's my gladness. It's my delight to give you my kingdom. It is my great pleasure to give this to you. Your father longs to give this to you. He is our father. He loves us. We are his children. We are his heirs. He wants to give this to us. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus does not say sell you the kingdom. He does not say trade for the kingdom. He says it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants you to come and drink of this kingdom. Allow this mountain spring just to come over you of this kingdom. You don't have to go out and pump 
water to get this. He wants to just let it flow over you, his kingdom. He wants you to be like a child. Truly I say, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Just believe he wants to give it to you. There are no strings attached to this kingdom he wants to give you. None. And he calls us his little flock. Fear not, little flock. Jesus is piling these metaphors. God is our father. He gives us his kingdom. He, is, he must be our king then. He looks out for us as his flock. He must be a shepherd willing to give his life for us, to protect us. Listen, flock, to these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You believe it? The good shepherd lays down his life for us. Begrudgingly? Never. Under constraint? Never. The father did not begrudge the gift of his son, and son did not begrudge the gift of his life. It is the shepherd's good pleasure to give the kingdom his flock. And what do you have if you have the kingdom? You have the staggeringly, unspeakably, omnipotent rule and authority of the king of the universe who will be engaged with you, for you, minute to minute, for eternity. Our father, our shepherd, our king. Wow. When you step back from this passage... I think it's really important that you unpack what the war is between the God of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Bill or self. Behind every moment of worry is a war for your heart. Behind every moment of worry is a war for your heart. Is the king going to win? King of the kingdom? Or are you going to fight him? And say, no, I, I'm going to hold on to that. You know, he ends this passage by saying, well, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the things that was revealed to me this week was worry and rest always reveal the true treasure of my heart. My health, my body, my physical presence was an idol. 
And God said, you know, I'm not going to wink at that anymore, Bill. That's an issue because it gets in the way of me. Your sense of having control day to day is a real issue, and it's an idol. And I'm not going to wink at it anymore because it gets in the way of me. So, Bill, let's talk about where your treasure is. And what you hold on to the most is often the things, and what you worry about the most is often the things that you treasure the most. We have to be careful that we treasure them. We don't treasure them more than we do God and His kingdom. He whooped me this week. And it was a wrestling match that I'm glad I lost. So we're going to worry. What are you worried about today? I want to suggest something. I'm, I'm going to put something. Dave Pallison has put something online, a game plan to deal with worry. I'm going to put that online for you all to go to. It's, it's really good stuff. But I also would like for you to, to try this just for a couple of weeks. Take some three-by-five cards, and when a worry comes up, put it on the card. And then I want you to set up a worry box in your house. Say, Lord, I do not want to carry this anymore. And put it in the box. Just try it for a couple weeks. I know it's kind of cheesy, but try it. Because I think it's a huge issue for us. And I think God wants to set us free. He's been working in me. He's going to have to continue to work in me. I give you full permission. If you hear worry coming out of my mouth, get in my grill. Because I'm tired of breaking that commandment. At the end of Luke, there's a sweet verse. I'm going to read the message portion of it as we prepare our hearts for communion. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, which is a little different than what you see up there. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be saved, served, right? But I've taken my place among you as the one who serves, Jesus says. And you've stuck with me through thick and thin. Now I confer on you the royal authority my Father conferred on me so that you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be strengthened as you take up the responsibility among the congregation of God's people. He's inviting us to his table. And he will continue to do so. So, come. Eat and drink at his table. The table of his kingdom. You're invited. Prepare your hearts to come to be served. If those who are going to serve could come forward, you do so, please. Mike Kramer, will you pray for us?